it's far from being the exotic nature of all these entrepreneur stories about startups is a very tough journey. Uh, and if people do not understand that, there is other great big corporates that probably can benefit their, their capabilities. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast, where we learn from today's global leaders in FinTech, business, and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. My guest today is Oded Zahavi, co-founder and CEO at Mesh Payments, a corporate spend platform that aims to empower finance teams at every company. Founded in 2018 out of New York City and Tel Aviv, Mesh now serves almost a thousand corporations and has raised more than $60 million in venture funding. In this episode, we discuss his time at PayPal and what he learned there working with great people and many other future global fintech entrepreneurs, walking the fine balance of fintech innovation where you have to build and ship fast in a highly regulated environment a bird's eye view of the fascinating Israeli fintech ecosystem and what are the reasons driving it, Oded's vision for Mesh, where they are building a self-driving wallet for corporate CFOs and just a whole lot more. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Oded from Mesh. Oded, welcome to the Fintech Leaders Podcast. It's great to, to be chatting and then How's it going today? Hi, Miguel. Great to see you again after uh, we joined uh, a picnic in on Saturday on Central Park, which was extremely hot. Yeah, it was uh, uh, one of the hottest days in New York City. So thank you, Nick Milanovic, for bringing us all out under an extremely hot sun. <laughs> but it was, it was good to see a lot of fintech nerds like us. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so welcome, uh, Oded. Um, I'm excited to talk to you for, for a number of reasons. You've had an interesting fintech career and, and now you have, uh, it's been already a few years that you've been building mesh payments. So we're talking about all that, but let's start by learning a bit about your background. Um, what led you down the path of fintech and how did you find yourself where you are today? So I was born in a small town south of Tel Aviv. Uh, everybody talks now about Tel Aviv as the center of Israel and, and maybe the, the, the universe. Uh, but I was born in a very small town, which was great because one of the things I'm trying to say to young kids that they need to grow in a much more diversified community and not with only people like they are. And, and, uh, and I was a computer science geek from 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 very young age, even before it was so cool. So I think I had one of the first personal computers in Israel when nobody ever even know what's an Atari 400, which probably you even might not know. I'm not sure. And, and as you know, we are all going to the army when we are age 18. And I was fortunate to be selected of, of a very small group of people that have chosen to go to the university before the army. Um, and that's what I've done, of course, finishing computer science. So it was always about computers. And I discovered 
payments really coincidentally. Uh, I my first startup, I joined a group of friends, and for me, startup is uh, first and foremost about working with the people you like. Uh, that's the opportunity you have, and they decided. 2000 in 2000 to start a payment company about e-commerce and, and payments and, and secure e-commerce payments and I joined them and from that and the rest is history fantastic and and I was gonna save this question for a little bit later but I'll just ask it now tell us about the Israeli fintech ecosystem because it, it seems to be booming uh, in the past I've interviewed uh, Asaf one from hippo of course he he shared a little bit, um, but cu- curious to hear your your uh, take as to what is fueling all that innovation and drive uh, from from people in Israel. So you know, fintech is a combination of finance and technology, which uh, most people in Tel Aviv are mostly focused about the technology and less on the financial aspects of things. And I, I'm seeing more and more, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why I've been seeing the evolution of the Israeli fintech ecosystem is that more and more Israeli entrepreneurs have much more experience, uh, not only on the technology side of fintech, but also on the, on the regulatory and the compliance side of, of fintech. Historically, there were very few companies successful out of Tel Aviv, well-known names like Pioneer and uh, and Bluevine and Fundbox um, and SafeCharge, that was the, the early 2000s. Uh, and these companies have grown fast, have become global leaders, uh, combined with the fact that many of the largest payment companies have decided to open development center in Tel Aviv, like PayPal, even Flywire lately, and others. The combination of that really created an ecosystem with second time founders, people that have been show, watched how these great companies grow and how you build a, a world-class payment company. And in the last few years, and, and I think COVID has really accelerated that because before that, you needed to almost immediately leave Tel Aviv and, and go to the US in order to start having clients. Uh, COVID, of course, enabled even uh, an Israeli entrepreneur that wanted to start a global business. And and one of the uniqueness of the Israeli market compared to the French one or some other markets is that the domestic market is not interesting. Most of us are not even offering the service to uh, local clients. You're thinking global from day one. We we think global from from day one, really. Um, So we needed, we could have done that before, but but with COVID, we could have done it even faster by the ability to Zoom and, and, and go even faster. So add to that some very amazing companies like Medios, like Lilibank, like Mesh that have grown dramatically during the last year or two. That's really put a, a spotlight uh, into the Israeli fintech ecosystem. And you know how it works. Uh, successful companies brings uh, more investors, more investors, create more successful companies um, and the ecosystem itself have really grown and, and you you will feel in Tel, uh, Tel Aviv now the same way you feel in Miami or, or even in New York in some cases by the atmosphere and by the opportunities to meet amazing entrepreneurs 
uh, in a very short geographical center. I, I should do a, a tour and interview a bunch of uh, entrepreneurs in, in Tel Aviv. It sounds, sounds great. Uh, but, but that, so you mentioned PayPal. Uh, you did work there a number of years uh, and, and you, you were leading, in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, the team focused on Israel and Africa. Um, and this is I mean, not early PayPal days because PayPal has been around a long time, but definitely uh, it was a smaller company than it is today, uh, a decade ago. Um, what did you learn during those days? So I was really fortunate. There is no other way to describe it, to be one of the first people that PayPal brought to build a playbook, how to go internationally. PayPal always had international clients, but we were the first team Uh, by the way, coincidentally, that created so many amazing entrepreneurs, uh, people like Adolfo from Clip, like uh, Liron from uh, Forter, and, and few others that have been with the, with the same team at PayPal. And we were really trying to build the, the playbook, how to go international. Myself, I've led the uh, Middle East and Africa activity, uh, and there was uh, another gentleman, Uh, you, I think you might know called Mario Melo, which led the Latin American activities. And for us, you know, going from a, a company that is mainly U.S.-based, have a U.S. mindset, things that everybody think the same way, to take a product internationally was, was an amazing exercise. Add to that that specifically, and I can say specifically to the, to the uh, market I was leading, There was a lot of challenges how you take such a product and, and, and convince regulators in, in all of these countries. Some of them were considered the toughest markets in the world. I'm always telling the story that we decided to launch South Africa before the World Cup, uh, which was an important milestone. And for many years, everybody in PayPal, the legal team say, you know, no chance. The regulators there are so tough. They are not off allowing anybody outside of the country to come in and not last our time. And, and we were fortunate to convince uh, the team to go. And we planned, we spent weeks and weeks with so many lawyers building the case in partnership with the local South African bank. And the day of carbon, we, we set up a meeting with the South African regulators. Again, we came with a huge a uh, huge team of people. We were like waiting to get hammered. And we went into the room and I remember it was a huge room and the South African regulator came to me and said, what took you so long? So just to, um, as, as a lesson, first of all, and that was really the early days of FinTech. FinTech was not as cool as it is today. The expectations from FinTech to disrupt the banking system was not as extreme as it is today. I think my lesson about launching all these countries and to take a, a, a strong product internationally is really about if you have a strong product, if you have loyal class customers, and if you try to do good for the world, then uh, it will work. And, and, and PayPal today is uh, maybe the most important fintech company that ever created and is operating in so many countries. Uh, to your point, yes, I think the company have grown, sometimes maybe too much. I, I think the company was not, is not as agile as it was in, in our days. But that's why there are so many exciting other 
fintech companies. I'm happy that I enjoy PayPal, but I'm so happy that I I can do things in a more agile way now. Yeah, yeah, and and like I'm I'm guessing you've read the the book that I'm holding right now is uh, the founders and I. I had Jimmy Sonny, the author, on the podcast. It was it was super interesting to learn about the early days. Um, but but that let's let's talk about Mesh. Uh, maybe t- tell us uh, about what you do, and then I, I know that one of the things that is peculiar not not unique to you, but unique to few companies, I would say, is your dual location, at least two main locations, right? And that is New York City. Well, yeah, New York City and Tel Aviv. Um, but before we get into those details, tell us a bit about Mesh. So Mesh is an automation platform that helps finance team to really orchestrate all their corporate spend. For me, the fact that we are doing what we do today, mostly focusing on, on the outcome of what we do is payments, uh, control payments, is really a coincidence. Uh, we have really created an amazing team of software developers that are really passionate about making things automated, automated from end to end, from the minute the employee initiate a process to the way it 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 been orchestrated by the finance team to the integration to all the company in IT infrastructure. But the outcome of that is that we mostly, our, our first product, and, and which we are extending over and over again, is, is really about what I think is a, still a huge pain, that you are right, have been, been challenged lately by some amazing companies, which is how you take your traditional corporate card and how you enable the, on, the company to operate uh, with all the payment needs that the modern age brings how do you pay for SaaS services without having loose control on that? How you now back travel is, is back. So how you uh, enable employees and not ask them to pay out of their own money while we're not exposing the company to risk and, and so many other processes that we automate. And our plan is to grow that, that in that path to our vision is that in, in the future, everything will be totally automated so and controlled. Um, and to do that, you need a lot of software. That's something we are building, going back to your question, in our Tel Aviv office. Uh, all of our R&D and product is, is in Tel Aviv, where you can find some of the most amazing talents when, you, when it comes to building robust software. And, and flexible integration. And, and a lot of our success initially was driven by the fact that we could integrate to all these systems that historically requires days and weeks of, of preparation and, 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 and adaptation without technology. And second, we have shifted a lot of our business uh, teams, finance, sales, marketing to the US. Uh, we choose New York First and foremost, because of the time zone, that's something that a lot of Israeli uh, initiated technology companies thinks is best. Historically, you need to go to, to San Francisco because where, that's where the clients were. Uh, now is less an issue. And, and with San Francisco, it, as somebody that worked for PayPal, so I had my boss in San Jose and I was in Tel Aviv. Uh, it's not an easy life. With New York, it's much easier. The, the time difference is much easier. The, culture 10 or 20 direct flights every day uh, so it really 
reduce some of the modern pain of, of sending your luggage through connections. But specifically, New York for us was great. Uh, there is a big ecosystem of fintech and banks that really su- supported us from day one. And I think the most important thing is how you combine those two centers. People have used the word culture a lot and sometimes abuse it too much. Uh, in my mind, it's all about people. And, and for me, the best way to define things is by leading, leading by examples. So we've chose the executives on both sides in a way that they can create an infrastructure of communication, an infrastructure of directness, which is not too direct. Uh, or not too aggressive by nature. And I think the combination of that really leads to a, to a company that behaves like a single, unite uh, organism. But it's something you are being uh, tested over and over again. It's not something you build once and then you can forget about it. You ask yourself these questions over and over again, and, and, and you need to make sure you are not making fouls because every foul in a, such a... A delegate organism can can really be painful for everybody. Odette, so let's go back to your product. The way you were describing it, it reminds me of, I think it was Andy Ratcliffe that coined it, the self-driving wallet. He was talking about the consumer side. You're talking about doing the same for corporations, right? Is is this feasible to have a fully automated self-driving treasury CFO office, you know, meaning a wallet? Um, where, where are we now in, in, in that uh, level of autonomy? Totally. And, and by the way, to your point about the consumer space, I think that the corporate space really thrives for solutions. And, 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 and the reason why... There is so much investments and successful companies in our space is not only because the market to put it is huge, but it also it's the place where the banks, uh, which are our biggest competitors, everybody asks me, what do I think about Brex and Ramp and all these great companies? For me, it's mostly about what do I think about Amex and what do I think about uh, Citibank, uh, where most of the potential player clients still um, still, still use. Uh, and for me, and I, that's something I'm, I'm not even ashamed to say to the banks, in a corporate space, uh, the technology will really make the difference. It's not only about credit and maybe some cashback, which is important, and that's where banks can maybe compete. But in the corporate spend, and, and it's a one-way ticket, meaning a company that have will shift one day to this new technology and to the self-driving automation will not will never go back. So the, our effort is really to provide them the trust uh, to take that leap of faith and the chances they will go back to the traditional banks or the chances that the banks will be able to compete with the right technology, with the right talent that is required to build all these technological processes with the clients is very low. I, 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 we need to prove it yet, but I, I, that's a trend that will be very tough to banks to uh, to compete. And, and, and that's why the fact that today the access and most of the company infrastructure is in the cloud. Think about three years ago when you need to do all this integration to all these on-premise systems. 
that does not exist anymore. Even last week, we got a notification that our processor have moved their infrastructure to AWS. So everything is now in the cloud, which really simplify from an infrastructure perspective, the ability to integrate. Add to that, there is more and more tools that have become standards. Uh, we have invested, for example, a lot of efforts connecting to NetSuite, which is maybe became the standard of the fast growing mid-market companies. And we have a very robust integration. We can adapt to different behaviors of NetSuite in, in a way that maybe no other vendor can. And that's really something that provides you an edge, uh, uh, an advantage on all the competitors, but first and foremost on the banks. Um, and that's why if we look and when we'll talk again in three to five years, uh, I think there that market is going to change. The banks will need to react because they are really losing market share. It's not as painful as it sounds yet, but the trend and, and many of the vendors in our space are announcing triple, uh, quadruple uh, type of growth. We've been already tripling our business from the day we finished our previous funding round, which was in November. Just to put you in perspective how fast is the adoption of, of these types of solutions, even though I think it's still early days, to your point, it's still more vision. A lot of what we're trying to build is still on the vision side of things. Even today, with the first signs of value that we can provide to our clients, uh, this is something that is really getting more and more momentum by the market. Uh, then let, let's talk a little bit about that specifically, your clients and, and the growth. How have you built a successful sales team internally at Mesh that is being able to bring you know this type of growth? You mentioned 3x in the last eight months or so. So um, yeah, like how has your past experience informed your current strategy around sales? So we already have almost 1,000 corporate clients which, of course, for us, there are two vectors. The acquisition vector, when we need to bring more and more clients, and the second one is to uh, the, the, the vector of helping those clients shift as much as pay possible payments to our platform. Uh, remember that we are still, uh, most of the leading players in the space are working under the business model where uh, it's, a, it's a free platform, but, but we get revenue from interchange which means that we need to convince clients not only to choose us, but even more important to use the platform heavily. So to do that, you need to build um, what I call a multi-layer multi sales team where there are the SDRs who are creating the leads, uh, which they need to do hundreds of calls. As I mentioned, the market opportunities is huge. And in average, our sales cycle is around four weeks. And as such, you need to have a really strong momentum. You need to make sure that your lead, the leads are coming in a very fast pace. And you need to find people that can take those leads and close them into a, a, approval by the clients. But even more important, you don't need, in opposite to maybe other SaaS companies where the sales end when the client signs the contract. 
in my mind, that's where only the sales started. Um, and then you need to take, make sure the clients understand the value across the board. Uh, you need to make sure they understand that he doesn't need to pay some high value uh, payments through wires. Uh, he can move them into virtual cards. And that's where he and us will benefit from. Uh, you need to explain to him why, why, how, what the integration he needs to do in order to get the most of the value from the platform. Uh, so usually, even though the sales cycle is relatively short, the onboarding cycle it usually takes more than the, the acquisition itself. And this is a really different mindset than most of the traditional fintech or SaaS companies. And you need to uh, understand that. You need to train your sales team accordingly. And you need to bring the right people that can support you on that. The last thing which I'm seeing happening more and more is the partnership aspect of the business. So I expect more and more, we announced a global partnership with, with a, a leading global payroll company called Papaya Global. We are planning to announce few others partnership with, with maybe one of the leading payment service providers uh, in the space. In, all, in order that all these companies are trying to combine the value they are bringing to show clients that they look at their entire business, not only on a very niche piece of their payment payments needs. Uh, so going forward, I, I see more and more of these consortium of, of companies going together. Each one of them really brings its own value, but all together they provide an even uh, much more value to the clients. Oh, the, your earlier story about PayPal in South Africa illustrates an important point in fintech, which is you're building a highly regulated environment. And some products are more regulated than others, but you still have to take that into account. How do you balance meeting all those regulatory requirements versus also the need to scale, grow, ship really fast? That, that's a great question. And, and for me, over the years, and I've been involved in so many startups, and I really, even today, try to help as many startups as I can when they start their journey. For me, in opposite to maybe other spaces where it may be an advantage for the founder not to fully understand all the challenges he's going to face and maybe try to solve them in a different way. When it comes to payments, uh, the only way that you can do things fast and, and, and really bring solutions that are complying uh, with the regulations and can scale because in, 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 the, in the business, you know, it's not interesting enough to build something nice that can work. In our space, we are only successful if we can generate, it's, it's an economy of scale business. So you need to scale, you need to make sure that you are not reaching a milestone and then you need to shut down your service. So I'm surrounding myself with world-class experts on the compliance side, on the legal side. I've spent a lot of my time understanding what is the requirements and how to talk with banks and regulators, which in my mind, it's a different language. And it's not always start by the question what you are trying to do. It's sometimes most of the conversation is about what you are not going to do. Um, 
as an example of things that are against the nature of a startup. As a startup, the first thing you are trying, you will do, you will start saying how great you are and how many things you are going to do and how, many, how you are going to innovate and do some stuff. That's great maybe when you sell to investors. When you talk with regulators or banks, sometimes it's even more important to make them comfortable in what you are not going to do and not especially why you are going to innovate uh, and be successful. So I think the combination of having a very strong team on the technology side, but without ignoring the need to do highly scalable uh, risk and compliance infrastructure almost on any level of the product. That's one of the reasons that why we could have scaled um, and grow um, and being supported by some amazing financial institutes that feel comfortable that uh, they, they trust us, that we, are, we know what we are doing. And, and that's a key for, 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 a, for a successful payment service. So uh, that knowing all you know today as, a, as an entrepreneur, um, it's obviously not easy. Would you do it again? Would you launch a company again? I didn't launch a company. I, I never dreamt. I don't see entrepreneurs as, 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 a, as a goal. Okay, it's a, mean, it's a mean to surround yourself with the people you like and trust. Uh, it's a mean to uh, really feel good about uh, every, every morning about what you do and what you are planning to do. And as such, for sure, I would have done it again, even though it's far from being the exotic nature of all these entrepreneurial stories about startups is a very tough journey. Uh, and if people do not understand that, there is other great big corporates that pro probably can benefit their, their capabilities. For sure, don't start a startup if you have very strong nerves. I usually compare a startup uh, to, some, uh, to a state of mind where um, it's mostly depression and there are glimpses of euphoria. So if you don't feel that you can handle that, don't, don't go there. Yeah. Having said that, in opposite to maybe, and, and I'm, to be honest, I'm trying still to assess the, the new norm because the world has changed the last three months. I, I'm, I'm sure that everybody is noticing that. Um, so historically, to start a fintech company specifically requires first and foremost to raise enough money to do stuff. I'm always telling the story. My first idea was to build, and that was almost four years ago, is to build a, a global marketer. Uh, and I, I decided not to go that path because I felt that to do that, you need an in initial funding. Without enough funding, don't even, even start. So... That's true for most of the other fintech ideas. Um, you need minimal funding. I would have said $5 million uh, as, as a rule of thumb. Uh, maybe it would be a little bit less. Uh, it might be a little bit more in some spaces, but for sure, because in fintech, there are some costs that is given. Uh, you need uh, compliance experts, you need risk, you need banks, you need, uh, you need all this stuff that which are we will need to pay for even before you will see the first uh, transaction. So the first lesson or the first thing I'm saying to many entrepreneurs that are coming with some amazing ideas, that's great, and, but make sure you are not starting the journey 
uh, without minimal funding. Um, and if you will, the rest will follow. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, the environment certainly has changed uh, from where it was 2021 or, or earlier. And now when, when you think of the road ahead and you think of Mesh, where do you see the company going in, in a couple of years? So we are really focusing, uh, trying to balance between uh, the fact that, you know, we need to grow. Um, and in, in, at least in 2021, it was growing in all costs. Now it's a little bit different, uh, but still successful companies grow uh, while we need to make bets that will create the right value and the right differentiation between what we do and just another B2B payment services. Uh, it's a little bit conflicting because in some ways you, in many times when you want to grow and you want to easily get a client, it, the easiest way for do, to do that with finance team is to give them what they used to do for a long time, which might help you to grow, but you will find yourself as a copycat or a very traditional payment service, maybe with a little bit of better UI. From the flip side, you want to create new ways to operate, new processes. I'm, as an example, for Mesh, we were the first was that was allowed to, to issue a, a numberless corporate card uh, in partnership with, with Visa. So now you have a virtual card that connects to the plastic card and you can switch virtual card this is really cool and have so much value, especially around security. But then it's not something a typical CFO have seen before. So you need to spend more time and explain why it makes sense that there is no number on the card and why the fact that it doesn't look like a traditional Amex is, is an advantage and not an advantage. So as a mindset of a company, by the way, we have a rule which is saying like 20% of what we do by definition needs to be different. But, uh, and maybe we will be wrong and maybe we will pro uh, prove that uh, to the market that we have done it the right way. But it's very important not to try and, and, and go and, and try to imitate what others are doing just for getting more clients or to, to win more deals uh, except the traditional players. I believe it will be very disciplined and will continue to innovate and the market will continue. I think one of the only, and I don't enjoy saying that, that this downturn is bringing to the space is that more companies are now uh, be making uh, spend as a priority or spend control as a priority. So even though companies are spending a little bit less, uh, the fact that uh, the onboarding of new clients is getting faster and faster, I think, on the long run, will benefit uh, the industry as a whole. Yeah. Um, so, as, as and I, I see great things uh, happening to Mesh. We are bringing more uh, high-profile talents, which for me is the key for a successful company. And we believe that there are going to be, I personally believe, there are going to be so many changes in the ecosystem. Uh, some companies uh, will need to shut down because they couldn't raise enough money. Some companies, banks will change some of their strategies toward to corporate spend. You already seen some of my competitors that have tried to 
do some stuff on their SMBs and it really uh, went out bad. So for me, you need to be focused. You need to look and make sure you understand how the market evolved. Um, and, and that's a key to be successful. Oh, that before I let you go, when you think of your journey, particularly as a founder, uh, anyone comes to mind as most helpful and consequential people in, in your journey and, and, and why if they do? So I usually mention two people that have been in totally different stage of my career. Uh, they were both on the payment side. So I had, I was running this, I'm not even remind, mentioning that anymore, but I was running this development for uh, the second largest uh, card issuer in, in Israel and, and the CEO uh, was always his strategy and that was in a very young stage of my career. He was listening to your opinion and he will immediately give the op opposite opinion and try to convince you that you are don't know what you are doing and he was trying to push you over and over again and if he saw that after a while you stick still with your, with your opinion, he would have said, you know what? Fine. Let's 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 follow your uh, your idea. And for a young person without enough confidence, that was really terrifying. And not that I'm trying to use it too much, especially on young entrepreneurs, but that really works well. And and really, uh, it's a big big sign of, of uh, how things how much you believe in what you say. Uh, the second one uh, was the gentleman was uh, that was leading emerging markets for PayPal. As I mentioned, we were a very strong team of, of, of people, and he was always asking us mainly one question. Do we, what we are doing is a vitamin or it's a painkiller? Uh, we launched PayPal and we, we needed to decide from all the features, what's the priority? Should we have a local acquiring or not? Should we have localization or not? Should we have a, uh, so many stuff that you need to build when you uh, uh, my, uh, take a, a pro payment product into a specific market. And it was always about like, don't come with, with, with vitamin. Show me that it's a painkiller. I think that was one of the key reasons why PayPal is so successful. It's a solution that especially then was solving a big pain, especially in all these emerging markets. And we try to follow this, that advice in, in, in everything we do. Uh, we ask ourselves, is this something that will make the life of the finance team a little bit better or it will really be a game changer for them? And I advise everybody to think that way. It's, it's really productive. Love it. Vitamins versus painkillers. Well, Abed, thank you again for joining. Really, really interesting uh, to, to hear your story and also hear what you're doing at, at Mesh. I'm sure... There's going to be a lot more to come. So I, I hope we keep talking over uh, the many years ahead. Safe travel and see you soon in one of the less hottest picnics of the <laughs> See you later then. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this episode with Oded Zehavi, CEO of Mesh. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whenever you get your shows. It helps and means a lot. If you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, please drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Bye.